Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 50 Years Ago in Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Cole, and each week I take you on a trip down memory lane back 50 years where we report on all the hockey news from that time period. This week, we're looking at August 9th to August 15th, 1970. Our podcast is made possible each week by the support of our two fine sponsors. Newspapers.com is the world's largest online of newspapers, and they allow us to get all the news that we report each week in this show. We're also sponsored by the Breakwall Brewing Company, located in beautiful downtown Port Colborne, Ontario. The folks at the Breakwall produce some outstanding craft beers, many of which are crafted from recipes from the original breweries in Port Colborne in the late 1800s. They also have some of the best pub food on the planet, and when things return to normal and everybody can travel like they normally did, I'd love to get together with some of our listeners at the break wall in Port Coburn for a beer and a burger. Last week, some of the stories we talked about, well, we, we uh, reported on Bobby Orr, who was in Vancouver, and gave his thoughts on a number of hockey subjects, uh, a lot of it pretty interesting. We learned about a National Hockey League rookie, Dale Talon, signing the largest contract ever given a first-year National Hockey League player. And uh, we got his thoughts also from his lawyer, Alan Eagleson. And the NHL, we learned, might have another trouble spot, that being the franchise in Pittsburgh. This week, as NHL training camps draw closer, teams are continuing to prepare for the new season. We have a few uh, stories we're looking at. The Buffalo Sabres will finally establish a farm team in one of the unlikeliest places you could think of. This one wasn't on anybody's bingo card. We have some news on uh, that plan to fly fans from Edmonton to Vancouver for Canucks home games. And we'll try to get to the bottom of reports that Bruins captain Johnny Busick suffered a serious leg injury when he fell out of a boat in BC. There's a lot of other hockey news as well this week, and we'll get to it right now. A lot of the news being reported around the hockey world this week, 50 years ago, concerned teams announcing home openers and exhibition schedules. The New York Rangers advised their fans that they would get an early look at one of the National Hockey League's two new teams as the Buffalo Sabres would provide the opposition for the Rangers at their Madison Square Garden home opener slated for October 14th. The Chicago Blackhawks, meanwhile, were talking about their training camp opening, which was to take place on September 14th at the Chicago Stadium, and they listed an exhibition schedule of eight games beginning on the 19th. Montreal Canadiens also announced a September 10th camp opening date, with workouts taking place at the Habs home rink of the Montreal Forum. The Maple Leafs training camp was to kick off on September 9th at Maple Leaf Gardens and the Leafs said they had scheduled 10 exhibition games for this fall, three of them being held at the Gardens. And the Detroit Red Wings announced seven friendlies as part of their training camp regimen which was being held in Detroit and was to open 
just like the Maple Leafs on September 9th. You'll remember in a previous podcast episode, we talked about the enterprising former Canadian national team player Roger Bourbonnet and his plans to purchase a block of Vancouver Canucks season tickets and fly fans into Vancouver from Edmonton for Canucks home games. Now, Edmonton is where Roger is based as he begins a new career as a lawyer and he wanted uh, a bunch of people to be going to Canucks games. Well, it seems Roger's great plan has encountered a bit of a snag. The Canadian Transport Commission had a hearing this week, and during that hearing, witnesses told the commission that a shortage of charter aircraft will prevent that group from flying for the fans from Edmonton to Vancouver for those games. Planes are also not available for other events such as skiing trips, plan openings, and industrial holidays. Well, of course, that begs the uh, question, what the heck is going on that aircraft aren't available for all these charter flights? Seems the airlines would be anxious to make a bit of money off this. Well, all is not what it seems on the surface. This new news came out of a hearing with the Transport Commission and the information given by witnesses called by a lawyer named Milt Herodence who works for International Jet Air Limited. They were at the hearing to show that there is a market for the passenger plane Electra, which his company hopes to put into charter service from where else an Edmonton base, and possibly other airports in Alberta. One of these witnesses' name was a Mr. G.L. Davidge, who's an Edmonton charter accountant and one of the persons trying to set up these flights for at least 20 of the Canucks 39 home games. Uh, Mr. Davidge, and by the way, we don't believe he's a relative of Bill Davidge of the present-day Columbus Blue Jackets uh, broadcast team, recently retired Bill Davidge. Uh, Mr. Davidge said that he's having no trouble selling tickets for these excursions because Pacific Western Airlines will provide the charter flights in Edmonton. But the tickets can't be sold for flights from Calgary because there are no charter flights available. Commission Chair J.R. Belcher threw a monkey wrench at Mr. Davidge's plan, saying that he had better ensure the Commission would approve the Edmonton plan before going ahead with sales. These charters are not, according to the Transport Commission, a sure thing. So, at the moment, the plan is in limbo, and we'll have to see if the Canadian Transport Commission can find a way to allow this to happen and you know the Vancouver Canucks are sure hoping they will that's a big block of tickets that they had planned on having already sold we'll see how this one turns out The Boston Bruins received some troubling news this week as word got out that their captain, Johnny Busick, had suffered a severely cut leg while boating near Crescent, British Columbia. Johnny apparently fell out of the craft and caught his left knee on the boat propeller and initial reports had him getting over 61 stitches and possibly missing the entire National Hockey League season. Well, it wasn't quite as serious as that, and that comes from Johnny Busick himself. 
Busick was incredulous at how the false facts had spread so quickly, and he set the story straight in an interview with Kevin Walsh of the Boston Globe, where the first thing he said was it's something how a story like that can spread. It happened only last Thursday while I was on a fishing ship with a friend and two boys. Busick said that the boat was anchored offshore and uh, he went in to start a fire and cook supper. When he got back to the boat, he went back to the boat actually to get the the steaks that were in a cooler on the craft. Uh, Johnny said, I didn't have the ladder to climb aboard and it was kind of windy at the time. So I jumped up on the boat and as I did, the wind pushed the boat towards me, knocking me off balance and my knee went through the boat windshield. Busick took 21 stitches to close cuts, which were about three inches below and five inches above the knee, but there was no muscle and no tendon damage. Johnny said he was a bit lucky to be uh, sure about this. In fact, when it happened, uh, they went across the lake to a resort where there was a doctor. He looked at the cuts and he said it didn't look too bad, uh, but it was quite a bit of time between when the accident happened and when he got to have a look at it. He did go to the hospital. He got stitches. He said he lost a lot of blood, but the doctor said there was no worry, no major damage, and he's been walking around since last Thursday with no trouble. Busick told coach Tom Johnson he was okay and he expects to be at training camp when it opens and the only thing he has to be careful of is not ripping up the stitches during the rest of this summer. So Johnny Busick's okay. No worry for Boston fans who thought they might have lost their captain for the entire year. Vancouver Canucks general manager Bud Poyle was putting out a feeler more or less this week when he announced at a press conference in Calgary that the cities of Edmonton and Calgary would be ripe for pro hockey in the way of franchises in the Western Hockey League and that this was likely to take place within the next two years. Bud suggested that he would suspend the Vancouver Western Hockey League franchise for the upcoming season and then move it to Calgary to become the the Canucks' number one farm club for the 71-72 campaign. He also said that the Western Hockey League would then establish a companion franchise in the other Alberta city of Edmonton with another NHL club, rumored to be the Philadelphia Flyers, sponsoring that team. All this, said Poyle, would be contingent on the people in both cities expressing a strong interest in pro hockey, and it would need the approval of junior and senior amateur teams in those cities. Well, Bud Poyle quickly found out that he was being a little bit presumptuous in in this idea. The arena managers in both cities profess to have very little open ice time for professional hockey. What with the incumbent senior and junior teams and many other attractions already haven't been booked up to two years in advance. Now this is a story that uh, will bear watching as the future unfolds. But if you look at the local reaction to Poyle's statement, it seems that neither of Calgary nor Edmonton are in any hurry to bring pro hockey to those cities. Both, by the way, were members of the Western Hockey League in the past. And in fact, Edmonton's team was the farm club of 
the Detroit Red Wings and the Flyers were a very successful club. I wonder what the reaction would be if the National Hockey League were to express interest in having teams in Alberta. I would imagine that ice time in those arenas or any new arena would suddenly become very available. After much speculation and a strange delay in making a decision, the Buffalo Sabres finally have a farm club. It seems strange that the new Sabres, who received their NHL franchise in June, took until nearly mid-August to firm up plans as to where their development team would play. Right from the outset, there were stories that the Buffalo NHL team would simply move the former Bison's American Hockey League franchise to another city in hockey's top minor league. Cities mentioned were Richmond and Norfolk, Virginia, and even Long Island, New York, where a new arena will be available by, uh, they say, the fall of 1971. There were also rumors of an unnamed, quote, southern United States city, which would host the Sabres farm team. Well, that all went by the wayside this week when Buffalo General Manager Punch Imlach announced that the team was establishing its development operation in Salt Lake City, Utah, with the Western Hockey League Golden Eagles. Wait, what? Utah Hockey? Western Hockey League? The Golden Eagles will be entering their second Western Hockey League season in 1970-71 and they didn't have a working agreement with anyone. It seems to be a curious location for the farm team of a National Hockey League club located way over there in the east. But then again, the farm team for the new Vancouver Canucks, Buffalo's expansion cousins is in Rochester, New York, which is just a quick hop down the New York State Thruway from Buffalo and thousands of miles from Canada's left coast. Wouldn't it have made sense for the Sabres to have made Rochester their farm with the Canucks using Salt Lake City for theirs? Of course it would. But when things in the hockey world ever make sense? Not very often in 1970. Now, one must remember that the Canucks own the Rochester Americans of the American Hockey League. Although the new owners of the Canucks, Metacore, are privately saying they would like to divest themselves of this so-called asset. But it would make too much sense to have that switch made, wouldn't it? Now, Imlac, he wouldn't say who was going to be running the hockey operation in Salt Lake. But there were any number of takers available, lots of people Coaching and juniors, out of work in the hockey business, would love to get at a top-tier minor league operation in the Western Hockey League. Early speculation has Imlac's old buddy Joe Crozier landing in Utah to run that franchise. Joe, who at one point was thought to be a shoe-in for the general manager spot in Vancouver, still doesn't have a hockey job lined up for this upcoming season. And Imlac would seem to need a trusted friend to take care of a a club located so far away from Buffalo. So it makes perfect sense, almost a match made in heaven, you might say. But perfect sense doesn't have anything to do with hockey. 
you got to remember, Joe Crozier is in no hurry to jump at just any job, and he'll hold out for the right offer. Why can he do that? Well, Joe has done very well for himself financially over the past few years, including when he sold his interests in the American Hockey League, Rochester Americans. And he's got lots of time to pick the right spot. We'll just have to see who takes over in Salt Lake. Here are the news and notes from this week around the hockey world as some contracts get signed and some team plans become more clear. But first, more stupid California Seals news. It seems they're not out of the woods yet despite having a new well-heeled owner in Charles O. Finley. It seems the bankruptcy action by the Seals' former owners has been reopened by a judge because there's over $400,000 not paid out as was ordered as part of the bankruptcy agreement and its uh, reduction from court. So another court hearing is going to be held to determine what's going to happen with all that. It seems this stuff never ends. Well, representatives of the SEALs did announce that this has nothing to do with the new ownership and whatever happens is no concern of theirs and we'll just have to see about that. The Chicago Blackhawks are making some news this week. Uh, Star defenseman Pat Stapleton was in Chicago uh, doing an interview at a local radio station and he was seen limping in and out of the studio as that left knee that he injured last March continues to heal from some very serious surgery. Pat said in the interview he's confident that the knee and the rest of his body is going to be at full strength by the end of the Chicago training camp and he'll be ready to open the season. The Blackhawks said that uh, having had such great success with college graduates Keith Magnuson and Cliff Coral as rookies last season, they're going to have 32 players in their training camp this fall and a couple of them are college graduates. Uh, the two outstanding college players, according to Billy Ray, are uh, center Dave Hudson and defenseman left winger John Marks. Ray, really high on both, says those two kids are going to be better than Magnuson and Coral were for the Blackhawks last season, and both of them were among the NHL's best rookies. Those uh, 32 players invited to the Chicago camp consist of six centers, six right wings, six left wings, 10 defensemen, and three goalkeepers. Those who don't make the big club will be playing at the Chicago-Dallas Central Hockey League farm team, which is coached by Bobby Crom. By the way, another uh, rookie, the one who's actually the Hawks are most excited about this fall, is a big hulking left winger by the name of Dan Maloney, who is a first-round draft pick out of the Ontario Hockey Association, London Knights. We have some Gump Worsley news from this offseason. Uh, you know Gump Worsley, North Stars goalkeeper, uh, famous as a former Montreal Canadian, still lives in Montreal. He's opened a string of gas stations in the city. As a prank, the Gumper, dressed up in gas attendance attire, complete with a forged cap and a leather bow tie. 
He was uh, manning the gas pumps at one of his new stations, and who should pull up for gas but none other than the great Jean Beliveau, the gumper, always ready to have a bit of fun with his friends, quickly attended the Beliveau vehicle and promptly spat on the windshield, spreading it around with a dirty, oily rag. Now, Big John, uh, a little bit angry, but even more perplexed at the gas attendant's action, peered out the driver's side, looked at the attendant and deadpanned, I've seen your face before. Don't I know you? By the way, Gump Worsley signed a new contract with the North Stars this week. It calls for a base salary of $38,000 a year with a $500 bonus for each win, $250 for every tie, and $100 per shutout. The Gumpers never had a contract quite so good as this. Another player with a new business venture is the great Bobby Orr. Bobby's getting into a lot of things lately. Uh, He's been busy this summer with the Orr Walton Hockey School. And now, he told people, he's getting into the pizza business as well. Bobby says he's opening a chain of pizza shops appropriately named Bobby Orr's Pizza Place. And the first one has opened its doors in Oshawa, Ontario, where Bobby played his junior hockey. The venture is a partnership with the Champs Food Company, which operates a few other uh, food outlets, some specializing in fried chicken, some in fish and chips, and some in hamburgers. This is their first venture into the pizza business. Plans call for about 50 of the pizza shops in Ontario and New England. The next few shops will be opening shortly in Peterborough, Sarnia, London, Galt, Guelph, and Kitchener in Ontario. Former Montreal Canadiens left-winger Jules Tremblay, one of hockey's good guys, has finally abandoned plans for an attempted comeback to the National Hockey League, and he has formally retired from hockey. Jules, who nearly died from a severe case of asthma and a bronchial condition last year, will become an analyst on the Canadians TV broadcast, and we wish Jules Tremblay all the best. There will be no professional hockey in Columbus, Ohio this season, and that's a a bit of a surprise. Money troubles have forced the International Hockey League Columbus Checkers to close up shop. International Hockey League executives who were unable to come up with an owner for the team this season did express hope that someone would surface who would operate a franchise in the International Hockey League in 1971-72. But right now, the future of hockey in the city of Columbus, Ohio is definitely up in the air couple days after the Blackhawks were singing the praises of those two young folks from the Midwest, college hockey players John Marks and Dave Hudson, they signed another college graduate who might even be better than those two. He is defenseman Dan Lodbo, who was with Cornell University the last few years and last March was named Cornell's most valuable player when they won the NCAA hockey tournament. 
Dan is uh, not a big defenseman, moves the puck well, very sturdy on his skates, and a native of Thorold, Ontario. After talking about how he might retire from hockey last spring, Toronto Maple Leafs right winger Ronnie Ellis has reconsidered and this week general manager Jim Gregory signed the star right winger to another contract. Terms were not disclosed. Ron had his best National Hockey League campaign to date last year, netting a big 35 goals for the Maple Leafs, and they are counting very heavily on his offense for this season. The Maple Leafs, to say the least, are very offensively challenged and need another 35-goal season from Ronnie Ellis. The Philadelphia Flyers have signed left-winger Bill Lasuk. He's a 23-year-old who was acquired in the June draft from the Boston Bruins. Bill spent the 1969-70 season with the uh, Bruins American Hockey League farm team, the Hershey Bears, where he had pretty good success. He scored 20 goals, 20 assists for 40 points. He's a graduate from Western Canada Junior Hockey. The St. Louis Blues announced that they're going to broadcast 25 road games this season on station KPLR-TV in St. Louis. Dan Kelly, as usual, will do the play-by-play. Dan is probably one of the very best in the business. And the color commentary will be handled by former professional player Gus Kyle, who also worked for the Blues in the first couple of seasons in their front office. Here's a story that uh, involves the Blues as well, but more the Detroit Red Wings. The Red Wings and the Blues at the NHL meetings in June were discussing a trade which would send veteran defenseman Bobby Bond from the Red Wings to the Blues. There was one problem with this. They were discussing the deal in a hotel bar, and Bobby Bond was at the meetings and overheard the conversations between the Red Wings brass and the Blues' Scotty Bowman. Bobby was very upset when he heard that the Red Wings were trying to peddle him, although he would have fit in really well on the St. Louis defense as a replacement for the retired Al Arbor, who's going to coach the Blues this season. Bond's worries were unfounded, though. The deal fell through when St. Louis couldn't come up with a suitable player to ship to the Red Wings for Bobby. Bobby probably would have been named captain of the Blues, and I think it probably would have been a good financial situation for him. But it just shows you the attitude that the Eastern Division players still held towards the Western Division, whom they felt were of a little less of a high caliber than those in the East. Many players have told me that they had that attitude back in 1970, and none of them really wanted to go to the West at all, even though Chicago would be playing in the West this season. The owner of the Pittsburgh Penguins, Donald Parsons, has quit his post as chairman and director of the Bank of the Commonwealth 
in Detroit. This comes on top of the news that the Penguins are yet another NHL expansion team having financial problems, and that team is really in dire financial straits. Parsons says that he is not discounting the possibility of selling the Penguins, but at this point in time, no such action is imminent. He does say, however, that the next three to six months will tell the tale and the Penguins could be looking for a new owner. In some player news, the Penguins have signed left winger Lowell McDonald, who was drafted in June from the Los Angeles Kings. Lowell McDonald, you may remember, was a good scorer with the Kings in their first couple of seasons, but he retired from the team part way through last season apparently because of a serious aversion to flying and some various other medical maladies as well. McDonald told general manager coach Red Kelly he's ready and willing to play for the Penguins in the NHL this season. Lowell says that uh, being on the West Coast with the Kings, who flew more miles than any other National Hockey League team, was a hardship for him. He welcomed being drafted by the Penguins, and he feels that far less travel by plane in the East will allow him to concentrate on hockey and get back to being a high-scoring National Hockey League player. General Manager Coach Red Kelly of the Penguins finally admitted this week that he's preparing for the upcoming National Hockey League season, being without star center Michelle Briere. Michelle, you may remember, was injured in that terrible May automobile accident, and he has not yet regained any full level of consciousness. Red says that he is advised by doctors in the Montreal hospital where Michelle is being uh, treated that Briere's condition is stationary. It has not improved, and at this point, the chances of Michelle making any kind of hockey comeback are remote at best. Red says he's hoping that center Rod Zane, purchased from the American Hockey League Baltimore Clippers, will be able to somewhat take Briere's place in the Pittsburgh lineup. As we mentioned before, Kelly had been counting on center Rick Kessel to fill in for Briere, but he broke an ankle while water skiing this summer near his home in Oshawa, Ontario. He's not going to be ready for the opening of the season. One of the bravest professional athletes to grace the annals of sports history is Kurt Flood, baseball player. Kurt was informed this week that he has lost his lawsuit against Major League Baseball in an effort to eliminate the reserve clause in each player's contract. That's the clause that binds players to their professional teams basically for life. Kurt uh, was a little bit upset about this but said the fight is not over. But the reaction of other people who had a stake in this hearing was... uh, not unexpected. National Hockey League President Clarence Campbell expressed relief at the news. Here's his reaction. I feel greatly relieved about the improved stability that all professional sport now finds itself in. The decision will tend to stabilize all professional sport for the time being since a decision against the clause would have left all sport in a chaotic position. I wouldn't be too smug about this, Clarence. This decision, as Kurt Flood did announce this week with his legal team, will definitely 
be appealed all the way to the Supreme Court if necessary. As we sit here now, 50 years later, we understand exactly what Kurt Flood was doing and the huge service he did to all professional athletes, probably at great expense to himself. He gave up a couple of years of a very fine baseball career to do what he thought was right and eliminate and to eliminate, which was basically a form of slavery. Kurt Flood, one of the brave ones, his fight was not over at this point, but it would continue and it would be successful. Well, we, we do have some audio for you this week as well, although there wasn't any news being made. Uh, this is a pretty interesting clip. What's the greatest hockey game you ever saw? A lot of people think the 1972 Summit Series Game 8. People have their own uh, ideas on that. Well, last week you met author Todd Denol, who uh, talked about getting into the writing business. One of the books that Todd wrote has to do, it's an entire book about what he says is the greatest game, greatest hockey game of all time, that New Year's Eve 1975 match between the Montreal Junior Canadiens and the Central Red Army. Todd talks about uh, how he chose that event as the greatest game ever, and we talk about our own ideas on the greatest game ever, Another part of our conversation with Todd Deneau at the Breakwall Brewing Company. Okay, so we'll talk about that greatest game ever. Mm -hmm. And I could never argue with that title because I watched that game on television like millions and millions of other Canadians, I think, did. And it... I'll never forget that game. I was amazed from the opening face-off to the, the final. I've had down. I've had people say to me, "Oh, well, it's not the greatest game. It's not this." I'm like, "Well, come on, it's objective. I mean, what's your greatest game may not be mine, whatever. Um, but on the list of games that are greatest games, that's always in the conversation at the very least." Um, off the top of my head, obviously Game 8, 72. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 87 Canada Cup, Game 2 and 3. Even I have had people come up to me and go, the Too Many Men on the Ice game, Montreal-Boston, 79. <laughs> yep. Sorry, Boston fans. And even some people, hey, as long as it's the last League Cup win, they're always going to think Game 6 was the greatest game. That's just the way it goes. Everybody's objective is dependent on that. But it's in the conversation, and I would argue in terms of a single game that was an event, like an event as a one game only, so that takes away something that was a series or anything like that, that the anticipation and the fact that the game exceeded the expectation level makes that one a little unique. I, I couldn't agree more that... You know, there's all games that being a Toronto fan, there's games that I mean, I was 16 when they won the last Stanley Cup, but I never thought that 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 sixth game was anything special other than at the end they won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, there was a great game. The the, the real one on that one is there's an overtime game earlier in that series that was probably the best game of the series. Mm -hmm. And I would argue, again, that the real, the game that's the game in that particular playoff run is the one in Chicago where Bauer gets hurt 
and Sawchuck comes in, right. and Hull hits him with the slap shot, and it looks like, oh my god, that to me, there's the game with the storylines, exactly right there. Yeah. Personal preference, but yeah. to me, that would be that game. For me, the best game was up until this one, the '75 New Year's Eve game. The best game for me was the last game of the 1962 Stanley Cup Finals. Okay, yeah, and the the Leafs win their first cup since '51. And Dick Duff scored the winning goal. Game, my favorite player. Well, Red Red Fisher Red Fisher gave me grief on that. Because <laughs> for yeah, those of you, have. for those of you who, yeah, Red. Again, we were talking earlier about people that were just so great to talk to. Fountains of knowledge. If you were doing Montreal Canadiens history, your first call was to, to Red Fisher. Mm-hmm. So. Red would always tell me, no, Todd, the greatest game ever played was the 61 semifinal game between Montreal and Chicago, game six at the stadium, which ended Montreal's five in a row. Yeah. And I would go, you know what? I would have loved to have seen it. I would love to see a video of it. But it is what it is. Mm -hmm. We're going with this. But Red was very adamant in that. And that's Todd Deneau, author Todd Deneau, talking about his book, The Greatest Game. What's your greatest game? Think about that. Maybe one day we'll we'll have some of our fans contact us. Maybe we could do a, a bit of a Zoom chat, and uh, we'll talk about the greatest game ever. I know the one he picked is right up there with me, as well as that 1962 game. So that's this week's uh, show, everyone. We had a lot of fun this week. Lots of interesting news from 50 years ago. What did we learn this time around? Well, we learned that the Buffalo Sabres finally established a farm team, a farm team in one of the most unlikeliest places. No one had Salt Lake City on their bingo card. We learned that that ambitious plan to fly fans from Edmonton to Vancouver for Canucks home games this season might be encountering some issues that they have to resolve before that little project gets going. And we found out that that knee injury suffered by Boston Bruins captain Johnny Busick isn't quite as serious as first reported, and we all breathed a sigh of relief when we heard that. Next week, we'll have a few more stories for you. Uh, We'll talk about Derek Sanderson going after a big contract from the Boston Bruins. And we'll ask the questions, are the Bruins running out of patience with Derek Sanderson and his antics? The issue of indemnification by the National Hockey League to the Western Hockey League still hadn't been resolved by this time in 1970. And the... uh, Discussion continued with numbers still in the area of up to $1 million being discussed. And we'll hear a bit, although not audio, we will read about uh, Lefty Reed, the curator of the Hockey Hall of Fame, which is located in 1970 on the Canadian National Exhibition Grounds in Toronto. Larry reports that he has a brand new exhibit opening just in time for the Canadian National Exhibition and it features a whole lot of Bobby Orr memorabilia even though he's only been in the league for about four years already a lot of memorabilia about Bobby Orr floating around and we'll talk about that and of course we'll have much much more.
The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole, and we can't thank him enough for all his hard work. The very popular Juno-nominated Rural Alberta Advantage gives our intro and exit music for each show, and if you ever get a chance to see them live, you've got to take it in. They're right now working on some new music, and we should have a new album out very, very shortly. Other musical pieces and sound effects during the podcast are by Andy Cole as well. Our research comes from files from the Toronto Star, the Toronto Globe and Mail, and of course the many fine publications found at newspapers.com. You can find us on Twitter at at Hockey50Years and on Facebook under 50 Years Ago in Hockey. And we have a WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com. The podcast is also on YouTube and you can find us wherever your favorite podcast can be found thanks again to everyone who tunes into our show we have some exciting new additions coming up shortly including a new patreon account where uh, people will be able to uh, lend us some support uh, by way of a subscription for some very exclusive content that we have planned but don't worry everyone this show in its present format will continue and will always be free to our listeners and on that note we will see you next time when the ice